Informed Simplicity Podcast. I'm so excited. This is your host, Dr. Jordan Harris. And today I have two guests who I'm very, very excited to uh, really do a deep dive with today. So I'm going to ask you both to introduce yourself. My sure. name is Leah Dawang, and I am serving Unite as our Strategic Partnerships Manager um, I'm also studying somatic experiencing, and I'm very excited to have my SEP in about a year and um, have a coaching practice where I work with my clients to receive and give unconditional, unlimited love. Beautiful. There we go. Thank you, Leah. And I am Kelly Bynes. I am an occupational therapist. I've been an OT uh, for 28 years, and my background is specifically in sensory integration. And I've worked primarily with children and families, but have also combined SI work with the mental health population. So came actually from the adult world and gradually got younger and younger. And I am now a strategic clinical consultant on the strategy team at Unite. And I also have a mentorship program for other sensory-based OTs. So I do speaking and mentorship outside of my OT life or Unite life. There you go. I'm really excited, right? We are here to talk about polyvagal theory and Unite and the work that you all are doing, sort of putting polyvagal theory out into the world. Um, And for people who've been listening to this, like we are familiar with polyvagal, but I don't know if we're all familiar with Unite. So why don't we start there? Can you give us a brief overview of Unite and sort of your mission? And then we'll dive into, into polyvagal theory. Yeah, I can take that. Um, So Unite is a combination of two companies. The first company was Integrated Listening System, which was founded in Denver, Colorado by Dr. Ron Minson and his wife, Kate Minson. Um, It was primarily using the focus system. Dr. Porges joined that team uh, early on. And then Unite, which was based in Canada, still is based in Canada, had an interactive meditation program. Um, They joined companies and um, became Unite ILS, as as we all now call it, and combined two. Um, Our mission is to help guide every single human being to their true selves by way of guiding their nervous system to be regulated so that they can engage with the undoubtable challenges that will come to them and doing so in a way that remains true to that to that self energy or to that true self energy um, we have the safe and sound protocol which is dr porges's um, music listening therapy and it's very powerful and then still remaining with the focus system which is dr ron Minson's creation oh very cool and so i think this is sort of very different for a lot of uh, therapists right i think we're very used to like talk therapy maybe some movement therapies but what you all are doing is really bringing in sort of like the technology, the, the like technology side, right? How can we build devices that help people to like regulate uh, and find, I don't know, how just like inner peace, healing, uh, growth, you know, which I think is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to get into that in, in a bit, the safe and sound protocol, especially, but let's sort of like lay the groundwork first, right? I'll, all of what we're talking today is sort of based in this idea of polyvagal theory. So if you could, maybe Kelly, uh, if, if you wanted to just sort of start us off, like what is polyvagal theory? Um, or even on a more basic level, like what is 
our nervous system, how does it work? And then how do we view that through the polyvagal lens? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we could just talk about that forever. <laughs> we could, right? <laughs> Literally for hours and hours or weeks. Um, so our nervous system really from a foundation level supports every single thing that we do. And so it's the central nervous system, how our brain and body work together. And that's why I became so passionate as an OT about sensory processing, right? Because it's about how we use our brain and body together for function. The thing that I so appreciate and love about polyvagal theory is that it is based on the evolution of the nervous system. So it looks at how the nervous system has evolved over centuries, really. And now using decades of that neuroscience to inform how we engage with each other and the world around us. And so polyvagal really is about engagement and it's about how we engage or not because we're trying to protect ourselves or because we feel safe enough to engage. And we could go on from there. <laughs> I don't know which direction you want to take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's even a great sort of starting place, right? Of The nervous system is sort of, like he said, it's like, it's like the thing that connects the brain and the body, mm. right? It's almost like it's the thing that makes us one or organism. You know, I think sometimes Absolutely. we come from backgrounds where our, the brain and the body are sort of separated, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and what we're really saying is that's not true because we have a nervous system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And we function in context, and that's a really big piece that polyvagal uh, shines light on is that we're wired to connect. We're social beings. And we know now, based on these decades of neuroscience, that it's not, relationship isn't secondary. Mm. And I heard a very esteemed, respected colleague say this a couple days ago on her podcast, Tracy Stackhouse raised this notion that we can't deny anymore. Relationship isn't secondary, it's essential. And so we consider function in the context of relationship and polyvagal encourages use of connection and relationship to support a level of arousal that allows for more engagement with each mm -hmm. other in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you give me, um, a breakdown, right? That's sort of like high level, but what would you say are some of the like, I don't know, core ideas behind polyvagal theory? And either of you can take this one. Do you want to jump in, Leah? Yeah, um, Kelly, I just love what you said. And I'm really taking it in for my own nervous system, like relationship, us three here sharing space together. This is the point. This yeah. is the actual point. And I, I get so jazzed about that. Um, so I wearing also thinking through a somatic experiencing lens, which is founded on polyvagal theory as well. It's, it's um, that's the foundation of SE. Um, one of the main tenets that I think the theory brings to the table is that your nervous system is not the enemy. You're not trying to control it. This idea of regulating, I, 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 um, 
that that sits a little funny on my ears, like it kind of makes me itchy, um, because we're not actually trying to regulate my, our nervous system or, or shift it into a particular way. Or if you show up to a space and you're engaging with another person, or maybe you're engaging with media, or you're engaging with um, stimuli around you, and you feel this this contraction or your nervous system, you start to feel maybe your breath gets a little faster, or your heartbeat is beating a little faster, or you've entered into more stress, and you start to notice, oh, I'm shutting down, and I'm collapsing, that those are all really beautiful communications that you're getting from your body. And it's not something to then slough off and be like, no, I must be regulated. I think polyvagal theory asserts that you have these three levels, ventral vagal, your sympathetic nervous system, and then the other branch of your vagus nerve, which is the dorsal vagal branch, and that each serve a beautiful purpose in keeping you alive. And Jordan, I really appreciated what you said. It was earlier um, before we started recording and that the challenge that most face although the stimuli around them can make them feel a certain way, their nervous system is what's reacting and your nervous system has your best in mind. It really wants you to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of hit on a few different things there, right? I think if I was to sort of pull out two, two of the big things that I think are maybe you're like the most important is one part of polyvagal theory is this idea that like your body is your friend, mm-hmm. right? If you're, you were talking about being in front of the media, you know, and like, I can only imagine that if I was ever walking down the red carpet and there were cameras everywhere, people was, were looking at me, I would feel anxious. Mm. Mm. And the truth is that when our bodies are feeling anxious in those moments, it's telling us something really important. Mm. So it's not something to like manhandle or like push down or like control. It's like, okay, how can I be open to what my body is telling me about about my context, coming back to what you were saying, Kelly. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And what you're raising is these cues, you know, the cues from inside your body and also the cues from outside your body. And that brings up for me this notion of neuroception, that it's this subconscious detection by the nervous system about those cues that then have an impact on our level of arousal. Mm-hmm. And that level of arousal then further determines the actions that we take. And some of us are better at noticing those cues inside of our bodies. So translating them into conscious awareness. Um, and some of us aren't. And I think it can be practiced. And Leah, to your point, SE, you know, that's really a big part of the SE world. Um, As an OT, it's part of my world through experiencing activities and, you know, the the everyday life that people are living, trying to help them understand what their experience might be. Sometimes it's putting words to it, sometimes it isn't. Um, But this neuroception is a huge piece of how polyvagal works or polyvagal uses neuroception to explain how our nervous system works. Yeah. So look, there are a lot of big concepts here, right? One of the big concepts is that relationships are primary, right? Mm -hmm. They are the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The second thing is that your body is trying uh, to tell you something very important, right? A positive approach to the body. The second big thing is this idea of neuroception, that there's sort of this unconscious scanning that happens in the background. Mm -hmm. 
Four times um, every second. Yeah, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. It's constantly. Yeah. Constant without ceasing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you also hinted at this, Leah, that there's sort of this hierarchy of responding, right? You have, um, the, well, actually, can you talk a little bit more about the hierarchy? I think for me, that was one of the biggest concepts that really sort of opened up my own experience and then working with, with like clients. Yeah. So when we consider this hierarchy, I think it's important to remember that we are primarily social beings. And so the way that we want to interact with the world, the way that we've been evolved to interact with the world is that we will, we will wear our ventral vagal safety, I want to connect with you, I want to be with you hat. Um, and, and so long as, depending on someone's trauma background, that is kind of our primary way of being. Um, you think of a baby, right? and a baby comes out and they're like, I want to be with you all the time. Hold me. <laughs> I love you. And I, I will never get tired of, of being held and loved by my mom. So that's that ventral vagal um, uh, branch of the vagus nerve. So the it ventral is, vagal is sort of like the safe, the connection, yeah. uh, like, yeah. and the picture is like the baby in the mom's arms, right? That's sort yeah. of like the classic picture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So and I consider, I, I consider that an integrated state. Like mm -hmm. that's when all parts of the brain are connecting. Mm -hmm. Dan Siegel does a lot of talking about, you know, connection. And uh, I just like to consider th this picture of the brain working together when we're in a ventral vagal state. Such a beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So what's um, the next level? Yeah. Yeah. So say you're, you're, trying to connect. I always think of it in relationship in a, in a dyadic relationship because I think it's what we can all really relate to and that you're if you're with someone you're like I want to connect with them and then perhaps they do something that it feels threatening and it could be from that neuroceptive state, right? You don't consciously think what they just did threatened me, but your body starts to get a little more activated. So it moves into your sympathetic nervous system takes over and this is that classic fight flight fawn you can throw in here if depending on where you fall on that and um, your body will make the decision for you i'm going to fight i'm going to engage more i'm going to run away and running away or fighting doesn't necessarily have to be big flight could look like one step back flight could look like looking away right fight could be oh my gosh i noticed my hand got a little tighter right or i notice i notice this a lot on me actually my eyebrow goes up when i'm feeling like, like what did you say <laughs> sort of fine um and it's our next level of defense that if our body says no the best way for you to stay alive isn't to connect the next step would be you need to flee or you need to fight. Kelly, what do you think about that? I, I love your description. And what, it com what comes up for me as you're talking is also the connection to the physical sensations mm -hmm. and all of our organs, you know, because it, it is subconscious. And so what we feel and what happens in our body is a physiological response. And I think that it's really important for people to remember the physiological response 
is sometimes but not always paired with the emotional response. Mm -hmm. And so we might feel a little sweaty, we might feel a little fidgety, we might feel completely scared. Um, There's a full range of affective response that you can experience while you're also experiencing these physiological responses when there's activation in the system. And it doesn't have to be bad. Excitement is also an increase in arousal. And so we can be motivated to remain engaged, but still have some of these sympathetic symptoms, um, if you will. So I like what you're saying, right? Because you're sort of saying that the second uh, step on this hierarchy has different parts to it, right? And the main question that it's trying to answer is how do I keep you safe? Mm -hmm. That's why it's, that's why even though it's not integrated, right, it is still very useful and we want to honor our body's experiences. Sometimes there are these sort of emotional sides to that, right? Maybe there's anger, frustration, irritability, anxiety. Sometimes there's physical. I love what you said, because I have a client that I'm working with who's, his son is in a lot of uh, trouble. Like it's going through a lot of things. Mm -hmm. My client says to me, you know, I feel okay, but my blood pressure is through the roof. Mm-hmm. right and what yeah. he's what he's saying is like my body is responding kind of like you would what what you're saying and for me right now there's not a lot of emotional energy there but my body is still like mm-hmm. engaged right now mm-hmm. yep and yeah. because 80 percent of the cues are afferent you mean afferent right I got that right. Coming <laughs> up from the body to the brain the body actually gets to determine the, the the state that you're in and this kind of top down no I'm not going to be this way or no I'm not going to, it doesn't mean that they're that that we have no control over our bodies but that to your point his blood pressure going through the roof his body is saying um hello we I have I have needs that that need to be attended to yeah. yes and that attention it, the, those responses bring attention to what the body considers as priority. Mm. So attention and intention are really important to consider when we're thinking of the context of someone's experience. Say more about that. That's, it feels, that feels heavy. Att- it could be heavy. I, I didn't mean it to be. I mean, not like in a downward <laughs> way, but like that's weighty. Like that's really yeah. important. In the f- in the face of survival, if you will, when we think of the nervous system and the evolution of the nervous system, if the, if the basal need for all of us is to survive, then what we pay attention to is really going to have a large influence on our actions and the cues that we pick up on. Mm. But we don't have to have intention to act in order for those cues to register. Mm-hmm. However, when attention and intention are paired, then we have a lot more agency and capacity for deliberate action. Um, and it gets harder and harder to carry out intention when our sympathetic arousal goes up because mm-hmm. we get closer and closer to the need for fight or flight. And that's where I was going with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's big. Okay. And so I think that's what it takes us to the third level of the hierarchy. 
Uh, so say you're in this dyadic relationship and they've said something that has made your body constrict and see, am I okay? And, and perhaps you've, and I, I think of the interactions I've had as a human being, I have had these interactions and that um, perhaps you raising your voice in sort of a fight response or are you saying, I need some space and some flight response. Maybe neither of those worked. And maybe the threat remained, even if the person's not particularly threatening, right? This isn't about the other person necessarily. It's um, There's no judgment or shame. But it didn't work, and your body still remains under threat. That's when your dorsal branch of your vagus nerve kicks in. It's subdiaphragmatic, so it's dealing with everything below your diaphragm. And um, you freeze. And and there's lots of different, I think of them as hues almost, or flavors of freeze, because it can show up in a variety of different ways. But the most common, I think, what we speak about is this collapse. Someone's shoulders start to sink in. Someone starts to look down. This is when, and, and perhaps this affect or even thoughts come in of shame, right? And it, it's heavy. It, le- it, it weighs on you. Um, and it in itself is still a really kind and protective response of your body to say, I want to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. I've really appreciated Brené Brown and her work around shame. I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. for it. Um, And and just the way that she's approaching approaching it. I, I have found that in my own work, when I could start to realize that shame was actually trying to protect me, um, it gave me another another layer to really have compassion on myself and others that I see are experiencing shame um, or that dorsal vagal shutdown state. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, that is so powerful, right? I think for me, this was the big thing um, because I've worked with so many people, especially women who have been through trauma, who would freeze. And then the trauma would basically like get worse. And then they would blame themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't I do more? Mm-hmm. And I think that this message of your body was telling you that this is the best option for now, right? Yeah. That this is the best yeah. way I can keep you safe. Yeah. In the past, other things haven't worked. So I'm going to do what I have to do to keep you safe. Like, I think we sort of need to like bang that gong again, again, and 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 again. Like you can't bang it too much. So people know mm-hmm. like, this is also about keeping you safe. How can I survive? Mm. How can I survive till tomorrow? Mm. And so we need to honor 100%. that message. hundred mm. yeah. percent. And you know what I think of Jordan, when you're giving that as an example, as adults, we have a cognitive stage of development that I think gives us this false sense that we choose everything. <laughs> And that you can't we, see our faces on the screen, but everyone, everyone just like lost their mind. Because <laughs> we're like, oh no. What do you mean Bring you can't choose? <laughs> you know, we assume we can control it. We assume that we choose every action. And <laughs> it feels scary to think that we don't. And even, you know, I deal with this a lot when I'm working with parents is them trying to explain away behaviors of of children, of their children. And even as a parent myself, I've done it. And we think if we can explain it, we can control it and thus prevent it from happening again. 
And that's not always accurate. That's an adult lens. And that is an integrated lens to assume, you know, that's an assumption that we're making about someone's state. But in the face of severe trauma, where someone's life is legitimately at risk, choice is the cognitive brain is not online. It's not as readily available and we can't reason through our actions in the same way necessarily. So yeah, that comes up for me. And the other piece, honestly, that comes up is this piece of blended states. Mm -hmm. You know, we speak of these three states of arousal um, as distinct. Yeah. Let me, let me, can we touch on that in just a second? Sure. I want to just sort of, because uh, this is a lot of information for, for people, right? But basically what we're saying is that from a polyvagal perspective, there's sort of three states. There's a, uh, a ladder. And then on one level of the ladder, there's the safe and social state mm-hmm. where we're sort of integrated. We want connection. Mm-hmm. On the next rung of the ladder, there's this sort of fight or flee, a fight or, or fight uh, state where we're, might not even know emotionally what's going on for us, but our body's going to react in ways to, to, to either move us away or towards something in order for our safety. And then at the sort of the, the third level of this, there's sort of this freeze, collapse, uh, shutting down sort of state, right? Um, that even though sometimes it feels like um, this is a bad thing, right? Even though sometimes it's, this is where shame creeps in, our body is ultimately doing it for us to still survive. Mm. Yep. So that's and, sort of like the overview. Yeah. And oh, there's absolutely. also blends of this, which is, yep. which is like level two. So talk to us about blends. <laughs> Kelly, just before you do that, could I just yeah. submit one thought here that. Absolutely. And then I think this touches on this idea of, of controlling your state, this idea that, that I don't actually think is true, that you cannot act out you cannot be in a different state or engage with someone when you are in a dorsal vagal state like mm. you're in a ventral vagal state. Mm. So what I mean by that is if I'm shut down and I come and I'm like, hi, it's nice to see you, right? Mm-hmm. I can't actually be authentically connected to you because my state is mm. determining how I'm going to exist in the world. And so if someone is experiencing anxiety and they're hoping, right? And I, uh, I've lived this, Jesus, I've lived this, that you uh, walk into a room and you're just trying to be connected with someone, but underlying your body is saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I don't want to be here. It's actually like attending to the state first will allow you then to authentically show up. And I think that's where this body piece becomes so important that the state determines the way that you exist in the world. Yes, which then feeds into making it easier to exist in the world. So it's that upward spiral of regulation. When we, choo- when we can choose and we do choose circumstances that are supportive of our nervous system, then there's an upward spiral of, of everything good. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think that maybe feeds back into your idea of intention, right? And it's like when that, when you, instead of trying to force your body into acting a certain way, but when you're able to put that intention or maybe the attention into, mm-hmm. okay, this is where I am. And how, then how do I work with myself to honor where I am and then move forward to whatever the next level here is, the next step, the next stage, the 
whatever. Uh, yeah. It, it, it reminds me of this video I watched in um, grad school, which blew my mind of uh monty roberts like the the horse whisperer i don't know if you've seen this video yes right i haven't seen i don't know if i've seen the video but i know who yeah well it's it was on youtube for the longest time but he um basically like lived with horses for like i don't know months or whatever and so he figured out how they like communicate and so he would use the way that mayors would relate to younger and other horses he would use that same sort of uh I don't know, way of being in order to tame horses. And before him, the way that they would train horses was through this really violent way, right? Basically, they would force them into submission. They would force them into collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you watch the video, like, it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen of this guy who's very, he's very direct. Like, he knows where he's going. But he's also like very respectful. And I think for me, that's so powerful because it's not just this free form, yeah. right? He knows where, where, where they're going. But he takes, and the video takes three days to like uh, tame this horse, right? Mm. He's like, because this is just going to be a long thing. And I know it's going to be that. And so for three days, he's out there taming this horse in the wild. And it's just like wow. the most beautiful thing because wow. it's going at the horse's pace, you know? Yes. And I think that names so beautifully that boundaries exist in ventral vagal. Boundaries exist in connection. And oftentimes when we feel threatened, we we have these reactive boundaries that come up, right? Like stay away from me or come over here or go that way. <laughs> um, but I love this idea of this horse taming and it being purposeful and, and there is boundary to it right but there's respect in the boundaries and love within the boundaries that allows the horse to be build up trust it sounds like yes and patience Mm. yeah Yeah. absolutely so blends i think this is this is the thing that i picked up on like at the end of my polyvagal journey not that i'm finished but this is like the the like latest thing that i and i was like oh this makes a lot of sense as well so talk to us about blends Yeah, I only raised it because I think this notion of three, people start to then think, well, what about this situation? Or what about this situation? And I hate for people to think of scenarios that don't fit into one of the the steps on the ladder and see that as an exception to the rule, because it's still not. Because each of those three can be a dominant state with little bits of the other. Um, you know, it's, I kind of picture an ice cream cone, (laughs) you know, with the three scoops and, you know, it kind of melts a little bit and you get a little bit of the flavor in with each of the others. Um, but blended states are really important because it's about flexible coping and function is about flexibility in the nervous system and being able to ebb and flow with the demands of everyday life. And I see these blended states as one way that we ebb and flow. You know, you may have more capacity in your, and Leah, correct me if I'm wrong from an SE perspective, but it's, I see it as capacity in the nervous system. You have a dominant kind of default state, either based on that circumstance or based on your own nervous system as your mode of operating. But we want to pull in more of the other states to allow for more capacity and flexibility in the nervous system for coping. 
that's kind of how I see it. Um, and I like people to know that because sometimes if someone feels angry or anxious a lot of the time, they feel like, well, this is just the way I am and this is the way I live. Mm. And I'm not going to be calm and happy all the time, which then creates more guardedness within the system. Mm-hmm. If they feel like they have to let go of their primary way of being, that feels vulnerable and maybe scary. So bringing in little bits of ventral vagal can be supportive to someone's nervous system as well. Yeah. The way that I think about this, and you you all tell me if this is wrong, is like um, when you think of it as this sort of ladder or of the ice cream scoops, it doesn't give you... <laughs> It's the peds in me. <laughs> it 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 sort of makes you wonder. Well, what about things like play, right? Like yeah. play is one where I'm sort of in fight or flight, but I'm also happy. So what is that? And I think what you're saying is, yeah. play is sort of this. Um, it's more of the the ice cream scoop, right? Whereas like, yeah, yeah, you're using some of the safety, some of the connection sort of state, but that's blended in there with this sort of mm-hmm. high arousal, fight or flight mm-hmm. state, right? So you're mm-hmm. sort of playing tag and you're running away and you're chasing and but it's also fun yeah Yeah. no absolutely we all know the experience maybe when you're being tickled and it is fun and there's that play and but the moment it turns and you're like stop it (laughs) don't tickle me anymore there's that there's that moment right where perhaps the ratio if we were to think about it like a blended ratio shifts and then that sympathetic system comes on and says no seriously stop yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how interesting. Yeah. And it's as unique as a fingerprint to every single situation, to every single nervous system, to every single person. Mm-hmm. And, and that your sympathetic won't look like yours, won't look like yours, won't look like yours in all the moments that we live every day. Yeah. And if someone doesn't have efficiency in their nervous system and or flexibility, and they're kind of rigid in how they approach experiencing the world, even if it's playful, then certain types of, certain amounts of activation might tip the scale more quickly than for other people, um, because they haven't got enough of the balance in their system to kind of keep them going. Like you mentioned, going into dorsal vagal, Leah, you know, I know I've worked with so many children that are fine, are fine, and then all of a sudden they're not. And they go from zero to 60 in a heartbeat and go into shutdown very quickly. And I think not having enough of the parasympathetic system on board can cause that. I think that is huge what you just said. That's so big. Because I think I've seen that with people. I think I've seen that with my own kids, you know? Um, and. I think, I think as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about so my kids, especially my, my, my second child loves to play rough, loves it, loves it. And I, I think, I think the most important thing that happens is when we play rough is that like, cause he'll be playing rough and then he'll get really upset is that I stop on a dime, right? <laughs> like, like, I think that's the most important thing because I think what that teaches him is this is still safe. I don't, I mean, I I haven't assessed him or something like that. You know, I haven't, but I think that's the most important thing. And I think sometimes parents, we go, oh, it's okay. Or, oh, so-and-so is just doing this or, or, you know, but it's like, no, like, and usually what happens, at least for for my kid is that at this point it happens for like, I don't know, maybe a minute. 
and he's he wants to go play again. You know, yeah. And then and it yes. always shocks me because he's like, I'm like, but bro, you were you were just like balling. Like you were just balling. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think he's you know he's gonna come back to oh wait this is cool. If I need to stop, I can stop, and then I can, you know. Yeah, it's beautiful. And that's the difference between something I think being perceived by the nervous system as traumatic versus being something that is integrated. Oh, my goodness. That they can take in and integrate. (laughs) Um, Integratable. (laughs) Integratable. Thank you. Um, and that when, when the nervous system perceives something as traumatic, it's that it was too much too soon for the nervous system. And, and when we have trauma, that's what, that's what solidifies the rigidity of the system to say you need to show up in this way because based on past experience, based on what we know of how to survive, this is our best bet and and we can actually within that state of defense it can become chronic and that someone can always show up in a fight or flight state or always show up and just be chronically in freeze or chronically in bagel or in dorsal bagel shutdown and that actually learn or your your system becomes biased then it in that state of defense to looking for other cues of danger around you rather than to be biased to looking cues at cues for safety. And I think Jordan, what you've what you've said is so beautiful, illustrating the flexibility of the nervous system to be able to be to be able to say, no, this isn't okay. I need to cry and, yes. and let out all this energy and then come right back to ventral and how someone with significant trauma may not be afforded that same flexibility until the energy of that bound survival energy within the system is released. Yeah. 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 Okay. And we have... can I jump, can I just say one more thing that yeah, was beautiful yeah, yeah. about your story? What I loved hearing is not only that return to ventral and your support of him in doing that, but the practicing of that is practice for his nervous system in building flexibility. And it's, it's beautiful. And there is learning in recovery as well. You know, shutting down isn't necessarily bad either in and of itself as long as there is support and a process for recovering so that there is some ebb and flow with the the person's experience. And that's what you've provided. And it was beautiful to hear. Well, thank you. Yeah. I I think it's so important, especially for little kids, you know, because they're just, (laughs) in some ways they're so wide open and also they're so vulnerable. So it's like this weird, this weird mix. They haven't yet learned to be afraid. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, So we talked about blends between sort of safe and social and like fight or flight. What about between safe and social and collapse? Right. This is when I think of things like nursing or sex or other sort of things. But I, I, I don't know. Like, what would you what would you all say about that? Do, do you want, you want yeah, me to go, go for it, Kelly? You're on a roll with a blend. <laughs> My immediate I want, thought. I want ice cream. Does anybody else want ice yeah, cream? Yeah, let's get, ice, go get cream. ice cream. What are we eating? Brain freeze. That's a shutdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, you know, I think just like someone can go into shutdown very quickly from a sympathetic state, um, it's also easy to come out of shutdown 
depending on the connection that's offered and how quickly and what someone needs in order to move between their states of arousal or through their states of arousal is as unique as their default state of arousal. And so, you know, I think it's just like any experience, it's worth paying attention to the cues that the body is giving. And I think it's really important to, to surround yourself with people and experiences that will allow for that learning and that support. And honestly, you know, my shutdown, when I think of shutdown, I think of um, not just a chronic state, but acute trauma or acute experience. And again, it's not what happens, it's how the person experiences it. And again, going to my pediatric lens, my world of work, schools, you know, children with learning challenges shut down and present as avoidant or oppositional or, um, you know, not following through on what they're, they're called lazy, they're, you know, all of these negative terms and interpretations that are put on children that shut down but they can come out of that with the right support for a task and or overall in that classroom environment. So it doesn't have to be traumatic to experience shutdown, but it might be depending on the situation. Okay. I think that's, okay. I think that provides a great context for, for uh, people, right? Cause I mean, I think you can, I think all of us working with kids, you know, can we all know that kid that we've seen who at school is like totally shut down? So I think that that, that points us a, a really clear picture of what that looks like. Yeah. The other big thing that I wanted to touch base with you all about was uh, sort of something that I've that I'm learning from the OT side of things, which is this this pyramid, right? Um. So I'm gonna put this, this of course, in the show notes. I'll, I'll link to this. This pyramid is really interesting and I can't even do it justice. So Kelly, could you sort of break down, like, first of all, like what is the big idea behind this pyramid and like how the different, there's Absolutely. one, two, three, four different layers here. Yeah. Um, so I the use pyramid this of learning is what it's called. The pyramid of learning by Williams and Schellenberger. It is really a depiction of the importance of the central nervous system and sensory motor development in higher levels of function. So it explains function and learning. And one of the biggest things that I use it for is to help people understand that very top of the pyramid is cognitive and academic learning. And so when we think of learning anything, it doesn't even have to be school, learning any new task, cogn cognition and you know, the cognitive piece, albeit important, is only the tip of the iceberg. It's only <laughs> a tiny, yeah. small part of yeah. what is needed to demonstrate function and performance and to show up ready for learning. And so it really then comes down to the role of our senses, the role of brain body function, the role of, you know, our autonomic system in supporting those higher level functions ongoing mm -hmm. and 
task specific. And over time, like thinking developmentally, you know, adult, we, I mentioned our adult brains, we've got more cognition there and more experience to pull on when we're learning new tasks. If we as a child had a traumatic experience or if we had an illness or injury that disrupted our sensory motor development, if we have a developmental delay, or even as adults, if we experience some kind of brain injury or traumatic experience, there it's almost Stanley Greenspan uses the Swiss cheese theory of development, and I think it applies here. If there's a hole or a gap in one of those foundation layers, then we're not going to be able to keep building on that tower. The Swiss cheese, it's going to, all those holes are going to make the tower collapse. Mm -hmm. And we all are programmed to master our worlds and to function. And with a polyvagal lens, we're all designed to engage and to be with each other. But when those holes become too big, or when those holes don't get filled in, and the experiences of every day layer on, then it falls apart. Yeah. And that's how I describe that triangle. Yeah. So you have to have the sort of lower level. Mm-hmm. You have to have level one before you strong. can have level four, right? Yeah. Can you walk us but, through these, these, these different levels? Yeah. We, we will start to develop other levels because that's how we're programmed. So even if level one isn't strong and solid and air quote perfect, we're going to keep developing. So we continue to go through life learning how to function and cope. And this is that protective side. And developmentally, physiologically, it's just how we're designed. And so that's where these holes develop because things will grow and develop around it neurologically, will develop compensatory pathways Mm -hmm. so that we can create as much capacity in our system as possible to function. But those holes might remain unless we are mindful and deliberate in trying to fill in those gaps. Yeah, I love this because it's such a body-based thing. And so let me make sure that I'm tracking with you, right? Level one is sensory systems and it talks about things like the five senses, balance and body awareness. Mm -hmm. And so part of what you're saying is, um, we, have to develop those capacities, right? The, 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 the capacity of our five senses, our ability for balance, our, our body awareness. And if we don't develop that to whatever degree, something like our cognitive abilities are still going to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then we, then we might rely more on that cognitive sort of understanding to make up for some of what uh, our bodies like, oh, I don't, I have a Swiss cheese hole here in Correct. body awareness. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes our way of compensating then falls short, depending on the demands that are being placed upon us or that we're experiencing in the world, whether it's a social demand or a physical, you know, as adults, if we go to a job and you know we don't have the capacities that we need because of those gaps then we won't be able to do our work effectively um, kids go to school you know unable to learn and i see you know in in kids the sensory motor development might be skewed but they're they can get by they kind of function and 
it's when they get to, you know, second, third grade, where the academic demands are going up, that now there are too many demands to meet their ability to cope and get by. Mm -hmm. And so sensory motor development that happened when they were one, two, and three has now potentially impacted capacity for learning in the second or third grade. And would it be fair, Kelly, to to say that those extra demands, the heaviness of those demands that come in can be perceived as a threat to the nervous system. And so you have kiddos, right, kind of closing the loop there. You have kiddos shutting down and the teacher says, well, I don't know why they won't, they're obstinate, they won't do their work. Mm -hmm. But really we've said there's, there's heavy enough of demands that have felt now like a threat on a system that has an inherent hole in its structural foundation Yes. And we, we exist in a system that is very cognitive top down and yes. that if something is wrong with learning a behavior, we focus on that teeny tiny little triangle Absolutely. and say, you need to do more math cards, mm-hmm. <laughs> more flashcards. Yeah. You need to study harder. And it's like, oh my, but maybe, maybe there's something deeper that's going on. A hundred percent. You nailed it. That's it. Yeah. And we know now we have enough knowledge and information about adverse childhood events, about developmental disabilities, about neurodevelopment. We know that all of those things change the neurobiology and the functioning within our nervous system. And that's what we're bringing to the table for everything that we do every day in life. Yeah. Okay. I really want to do a little bit more of a deep dive on this. Can you sort of walk us through the sort of levels here of this pyramid? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's really quite simple <laughs> because it, it's really about development. And so you've mentioned that foundation level of the central nervous system, and that then moves up to application of those foundational pieces. And application is motor skills, it, it, like gross motor, fine motor. Um, it begins to enter into some cognitive development. Um, because we start to have a sense of ourselves in our bodies, and that embodied sense of self supports regulation, it supports motor skills, it supports, starts to support cognition, and we have affective or emotional responses to all of those things at that level. And so with a polyvagal lens, we start to create meaning around our experiences in that stage. And that's that middle level. And that middle level keeps happening all the way through our life. You know, we create stories and understanding about our experiences throughout life. Then that cognitive piece is really we are developing our executive functions, that top or top layer, not quite the tip top, but that um, fourth layer or third layer, if you will. Um, We develop our executive functions all the way through age 21 and sometimes even longer, depending on the person. And that's what we consider our grown-up brain. And we really then can rely on our cognition and our thinking through young adulthood um, into later life. And it's not, again, I don't mean it to sound as discreet, just like the, the autonomic hierarchy or the ladder. It's not that we use one layer and then another. This is the brain is organized as a matrix. 
and even with again with the polyvagal lens of that bi-directional communication between the brain and body these skills are all developing as we grow and age um, but we're also always fine-tuning them throughout our lifetime yeah you know as you're talking about that it just makes you feel like um like this is why things like play are so important for kids. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and part yes. of me wonders if like maybe maybe adults need more of that. Maybe you know, like the we adults that I know do not play. Yes. Like we need more play. <laughs> we, we need it snows more here play. and I bring my hiney outside with my husband and I say, let's make a snowman. <laughs> Where can we play? Let's break leaves and jump in them. Um, I could not yeah. agree more with you. Yeah, we need more joy. We definitely need more joy. Yeah. 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 And movement. I mean, I think this is so movement. Looking at some of these things, like these things, it seems to me are developed by moving, by active, being mm-hmm. actively engaged, by being physical. Yes. And our bodies need that. And that, yeah. that doesn't stop even after you're a kid. Yeah. I, I was, I'm looking up on my bookshelf right now, but it's not easy enough to grab a book, but like, I've probably got three different books on the power of movement and, you know, move to learn. And, you know, they're all different um, initiatives that have existed over the last decade or so to bring that to light in our, at least here in the U S and in Canada and North America. Um, they've been identified as ha- we've been identified as having a play deficit Um, And there was an organization, I think it was called Kaboom, was there to bring more play and set up playgrounds. And they had a play map, um, really trying to create um, awareness around the need for these things. And then even screen time, you know, looking at screen light lifestyle versus avoidance of screens, knowing the, the way that we are now in our world with use of technology, it's not going away. And how do we support children and adults getting the movement we need for regulation and health um, in light of the way that we're functioning now in the world? It's so important. It, it comes down to neurobiology. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So look, uh, we are almost out of time and I have loved this so much. This is probably the fastest hour that I've had <laughs> in a long time. Um, but I would love to just do a closing thought and then, and then we'll wrap up. So uh, Leah closing thought, like if you were to summarize, if you had a closing message for my audience, what would you say? I would offer up the reminder that you, you who are listening, you were designed to receive unconditional, unlimited love. And if there are aspects of your life that don't feel like unlimited, unconditional love, there's a reason. And I'm actually going to throw, I'm going to throw the safe and sound protocol in here. Um, I'll speak from experience that when I was able to dissolve some of the rigidity that my system had learned from trauma, that unconditional, unlimited love was right there waiting for me to receive. 
Um, and whether it's something like the SSP, just the music therapy, somatic experiencing, people like Jordan and Kelly that are doing the incredible work of being with others, um, there is hope. And I can promise you that darkness is not where it ends. I, I actually, you said that, and I'm like, we, we got to hit on this. I know we're running up in time. Can you give a little, talk a little bit about SSP and what Gosh. that is and, and how I it works? Love. I'm sorry. I know, I know we're pushing it, but I think no, it's but so I can, important. And then repeat everything you just said. <laughs> You're sweet. The Safe and Sound Protocol is a listening therapy. At its very, very, very foundation, the reason why it exists is to help someone connect with themselves, others, and the world around them while their nervous system is in a state of safety. That's the point. And the music itself is very special in that it's regular music. You probably recognize it. Um, Pharrell's Happy Song is on it, along with like Earth, Wind, and Fire and a bunch of Disney music. I, it has been put through an algorithm designed by Dr. Stephen Porges, who's the author of Polyvagal Theory. And that algorithm has systematically teased out high and low frequencies. So the music, when you actually listen to it, it's kind of tinny or hollow. You're like, oh, there's something's weird about this music. Well, those high and low frequencies have been taken away. And that middle frequency that has been left, it's the envelope of the human voice. We are actually designed to hear the human voice very similar to a mother and her baby and be called into safety by these tones. I, I've been calling it, this is kind of a recent thing that's bubbled up for me, it's distilled cues of safety. And by letting your ears receive those distilled cues of safety through those frequencies, we can engage the neural network associated with listening, directly engaging with your vagus nerve, helping your whole system shift out of a state of defense, that sympathetic or dorsal shutdown, and into a state of connection. And that can be your new home. And when I say to you that darkness does not have the last word, I'm speaking from experience because the SSP changed my life. And it allowed my system to be reacquainted with love. And that is profound. Yeah. Yeah. I've also done it. It was life-changing. It yeah. really was. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that later. But yeah, I agree. And that's part of why I wanted to have you all on. I think it was so profound for me as well. And I, and I love that, right? It's, it's five hours of music that is specifically designed to help your body find a state of safety. Beautiful. There you go. Okay. Um, where can people find you, Leah? And then we'll kick it over to you, Kelly. Where can people find you if they want more? If you're finding me in relationship, I'm sorry, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go to Kelly. What, what about you? What's your, what's your closing thought, Kelly? I can't top Leah's. <laughs> I just Not about topping. <laughs> I just mean that that's what I want people to take away. That's what I mean. Um, you know, I really don't feel like I need to build on that. Um, I just want to emphasize the the benefits that are available and that it's a process and everyone's process is going to look different. 
and I too have done the SSP and the music is, is part of the equation. Um, a provider, a skilled provider using this program can offer such a deep experience for people who want to, who are ready to benefit in that way. Um, so I just encourage people to consider it for sure. And it, the fact that it's based on polyvagal theory is to me just, um, it really helped convince me because it's decades of neuroscience that support the evolution of this program. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that in my own life and for the world. Yeah. So where can people find you, Kelly, if they want to follow up with you and learn more about the work that, that you do? I am at Unite. You can email me there directly, kelly.vines, and it's B-E-I-N-S. I know that'll probably be in the show notes, but kelly.vines at unite.com. Okay. Thank you. And Leah, what about for you? How can people find you, learn more about Dog. what you do? Desperately wanted to be a part of this. Um, <laughs> hey, mammals, right? All, all, all us mammals just want to hang out. Uh, um, in relationship to Unite, you can, um, if it's if it's with partners or if um, partnership seems like something that is ringing true for someone listening, um, you can email me at leah.dawang, D-A-W-A-N-G, at unite.com. And if you're, and I, Kelly, I would recommend you offer this as well. But if you're interested in um, coaching uh, with me, it is clearthewayforlove.com, um, offering the safe and sound protocol and somatic experiencing. Thank you for that nudge, Leah. You're welcome. Um, it's pretty easy. My, my mentorship program for OTs is pretty easy. It's kelly at kellybines.com. Thank you. Beautiful. Well, look, thank you so much. Stick around for one minute after the call, but I have enjoyed this so much. And uh, yeah, if, if I can ever be of service to either of you, please let me know. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate having us on.